The reasons to treat yourself to a frozen drink from Mickey D's go on and on and on. It's more than a drink. It's a Mickey D's drink. Your new flavor craze is here. From sweet and fruity frozen Fanta Wild Cherry to the classic cool of a frozen Coca-Cola to the tasty and tart frozen Fanta Blue Raspberry. Get any size for $1.59. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Lucky Land Slots. Asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So Emily is dressed for synagogue. She's got a heart out at six, looking fly. You got the button-down dress shirt. Friday the night. booty pants, because you got to show them what's up. Friday night services. <laughs> <laughs> I've been thinking your chair is squeaking. That, I know that wasn't a fargia, but it did squeak. It's <laughs> like however you, I can't stop thinking about how um, you said that everything in life is a sign seeds. Yeah, well, you know, we were really, we were really dishing it. <laughs> really dishing it. <laughs> what the fuck? Um, we yeah, really, we were dishing it. We were really it, dishing it, and I said that you know every time we hang out, like our friends, like we go into your living room, sit in chairs, go outside, we sit in the same chairs. It's like we just, it's like the cop inside your head. Like we give ourselves a sign. We give ourselves a sign. Do we all wait? That like implies that there's like a cop in everyone's head, the Fed in the head. Yeah, <laughs> we've never heard there's like that phrase. It's like kill the cop inside your head. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, there's no ops up there. I'm like, chill. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for you guys. <laughs> my anxiety comes from like a mean teenage girl. My The cop inside my head tells me to shoot dogs. Bitch, what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> this... <laughs> That's real. Um, girl, you cannot say you want to shoot dogs on our podcast. I don't want to shoot dogs. Gia, you have to cut this out. I'm embarrassed now. No, show them who she really is. No, don't keep it in. (laughs) She's getting mad. The the, the puppy shooting thoughts are coming. (laughs) Well, we we can cut it if you really want to. I do really want to. It is funny. (laughs) The cop in my head wants me to shoot. Way to make everybody instantly hate you. <laughs> I thought it was funny. It is funny. It's just to be like, like, like what is it when people do like slash like JK or like not serious yeah, or what is it? Slash, yeah. slash. There, there's Jen uh-huh. and what's the other one? Slash JK slash SRS. I have, like, okay. A little noise that goes off. That's, like, the tone indicator. That would be good. This is the joke indicator noise. That's true. We'll like Pavlov people into being funny again. Okay. I think we can get on board with that. going to be talking about humor yeah so what's what is it that makes something funny 
That is the age-old question. Mm-hmm. I personally think it's the element of surprise. Mm-hmm. Humor is like a formula that equates to something unexpected. Right. It has to be unexpected, but it has to resonate in a way that's familiar. Yeah, it can't be totally random. Although, I think that random humor is kind of the introduction of that element of surprise. Like... To little kids, total randomness is funny because they don't have the cultural awareness to put things in context. So like an abstract punchline is going to be funny without having to have been like set up by a real world experience. They don't have the they don't have the palate to appreciate relatable humor. (laughs) They can enjoy pure randomness because they don't see it coming and they don't need context. So I mean, they have shorter detention spans, so you can say pretty much anything sporadically. And um, they don't, like, rely on a linear structure or a formula, as you put it. Stupid kids. Yeah, yeah. Fuck you. I don't care if you're six. You know, learn some nuance. But even when you think about, like, memes and, like, shitposting, it kind of has that sentiment of, like, random humor. Like, the concept of a photo of a frog with the caption, I am now going to commit tax fraud, is hilarious because those two things are ions away from each other. Right. And... I think it's funny because of the randomness, but our appreciation of that humor differs from that of a child because we're appreciating the like connection drawn between those two things, like the benevolence and ignorance <laughs> of a frog, like with something juxtaposed against like how premeditated tax fraud is. Like that's that's funny because of the contrast. And the humor is a lot about juxtaposition. Someone who commits tax fraud is somebody who is living on the margins of society. <laughs> Yeah, and that and it forces you to envision like a frog leaving his family to flee from the IRS. And I, I like that image. Yeah, it's a pretty good image. Um I think it's really interesting. I think we were talking about this a little bit, how like humor is a learned behavior. We see other people's reactions to things and we kind of adopt them for ourselves. Like even thinking about the concept of peekaboo as a child, like it's just inherently scary. Like you're messing with the kid's object permanence. You know, you're disappearing and someone you love, (laughs) the only person you love maybe is disappearing and reappearing like right in front of your eyes. But the reason that kids don't get like scared by it, maybe they do at first, but they learn that it's not scary is because they see how much glee and joy you bring to the parent. Like the parent laughs at your reaction. So you learn that it's funny too. You know what I mean? Yeah. And as we learn more behavior and more conventions of humor with age, it becomes easier to deviate from those conventions and to develop our own taste in humor. So I think that that speaks to the idea of the taboo because Mm -hmm. kids, especially like, you know, kids that are a little older love potty humor and dirty humor. (laughs) I think dirty jokes are part of a kid's like first developing their sense of humor. Part of why those things are funny is because they're inappropriate and there's like a pleasure derived in saying something that you know you're not supposed to and like getting away with it for the first time. Becoming an individual at all is like an act of deviance, honestly, because like you're subverting this idea that everybody basically owns you. Like when you're a little kid, like you're just constantly told what to do. You're claimed by everybody. And to like develop a taste in something that is purely your own is an act of rebellion because you can decide whatever you think is funny. As kids learn more cultural context, like more and more, like the, their tolerance goes up. Though, like more and more taboo like, things, you mean, like the more like begin to appeal ingest? to them. Yeah, like you know, they start to get like they start wanting. Like it starts with potty humor, right? Mm-hmm. Then you go to dirty humor, right? And then usually after that, like when they hit like 10, 11, 12, 13, oh, you're making a face. You I know, already know, I know what, what I'm about to say. say. Edgy humor. Then they become edge lords, oh. 
And yes, right. yes. We could talk about your personal experiences as an edgelord. My personal experiences yeah. as an edgelord. Yeah. I'm not an edgelord. Okay. Like an edge duchess, maybe? Yeah. Okay. I'm an edge duchess. <laughs> it's refined. So No, I don't subscribe to a monarchist system. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't I subscribe see. to a feudal or monarchist system. <laughs> so I'm actually like an edge head of the commune. I'm fair enough. The, yeah, the yeah. So <laughs> I <laughs> we deviated a little bit, but like yeah, like explain like what does that mean? Like what is an edgelord? Um, okay. Uh an edgelord is just somebody who like loves making edgy jokes. And when I say edgy jokes, I'm talking like, you know. Dark humor. Dark humor, but like really dark humor. Like not like dark humor that's funny, usually. <laughs> like, you know, like 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 really it dark I feel like joke. edgy humor but it's comes like, from the same people that are like devil's advocate. Yeah, it's very like devil's advocate kid type of humor. A lot mm. of 9-11, Holocaust. Right. I'm just saying all the things. Abortion. That, yeah, abortion. All of that. Just stuff. about shock Rape. factor it's instead so, of. so about shock yeah. factor. Pure shock factor. That is what an edgelord is. And a lot of kids that get to that age, like, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, they've, like, done potty humor. They've done dirty humor. They move right. on they've to edgy humor. They've checked those boxes. Right. It's like, okay, I joked about pooping and I joked about, like, sucking dick. So yeah. now I've got to joke about 9-11. I'm evolved now. And yeah. it's time It's time to joke to about 9-11. About it's time to talk about abortion. <laughs> But you know, you said that you have edgy humor, and I know you're like mostly joking. But in reality, it is more palatable for a pretty girl to have edgy humor stop. than an incel. Stop! Yeah. yeah, you're pretty, but like, yeah, I don't know. I guess it starts out as kind of like an ironic thing to enjoy edgy humor. I mean, at least in this day. And age. When edgy humor comes for a pretty girl, there's a level of irony to yeah. it. Like, I think we use irony or even just humor in general to cover up a lot of beliefs that we have that we're embarrassed to have. Like, we disguise the expression of them by not taking them seriously. Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of like when people pick up a turn of phrase, ironically, like, and then it becomes part of your vocabulary. Like, I would say, I always would say, like, bae as, like, a joke because I thought it was stupid. But now I say it in real life, for real. Everyone is bae now. Bae. Bae-fee. Wifey. <laughs> It's become like a problem. Oh, it's like how I was watching hentai ironically, but then after the 23rd time, <laughs> I kind of realized no one was laughing because no one was around and it was just me in my room violently masturbating. And it was actually never a joke to begin with. <laughs> right. Yeah. The <clears throat> worst moment of my life was when my friend told her now ex-girlfriend that I watched that and she said she wasn't surprised. She wasn't surprised that you watched hentai? I was hentai. like. Oh, shit. That would hurt my, my ego has too. not recovered to this day. I would not want to, to be clocked day. as somebody who yeah, looks like you don't want to get clocked. For they that. watch hentai. You don't want to get clocked for that. But I think embracing our embarrassing interests through irony is a level of self awareness that allows us to find humor in our shame and reassert ourselves over those things by like evoking pleasure in others and ourselves. I think when you are ashamed of anything, when you're ashamed of something, there's only two things you can do with that shame. And you can either laugh at it or get turned on by it. And I think that's why so many people will say like, oh, I used to make fun of this like weird kink like or kink, fetish. And then, they, and then they get them. They catch it. <laughs> they catch it. <laughs> like humor and arousal, I think are both really connected to shame. And mm -hmm. I have a deep understanding of both humor and sexual deviance because I'm Jewish. That's a great point. What is it about Jewish people that just makes them so funny? Did I not just say it? 
Shame. Shame. <laughs> yeah. Right. Of course. I, it's also, I mean, I'm going to give the answer that everybody gives. Once again, like this isn't a cliche answer, but it's like a coping mechanism for having been persecuted for so long. Every comedian, like up until the year 1970 in America, was Jewish. Not everyone, but like 95% of them were. It's like Gentiles only learned how to be funny from 1970 onward. Just didn't exist. Just before. didn't exist beforehand. It just didn't. Um, I think it's like a cultural thing too. Mm -hmm. Like you learn how to be funny from your relatives and they learned from their relatives. And it just, I guess that kind of leads to the general question of like, why do some people end up funnier than others in general? I think certain people rely on it more. Like to get them by? Yeah. Like, you know, just in life, like you need to have some kind of a thing and being funny is some people's thing. I really feel that because I think one of my most identifiable characteristics is my humor. And that's because that's like the charm I use to get people to like me. Mm. Like you flirt to charm, but I joke. <laughs> I guess it's like, you know how uh, people have love languages? Like sometimes like people's love languages, like gift giving or like physical touch or positive affirmations and stuff. It's kind of like, like what's your manipulation language? Like what aspect of yourself do you use to get what you want from people? I also think the reason why some people are funnier than others has to do with the ability to make connections. Like, the better you are at connecting things, the funnier you're going to be. Yeah, I mean, it's about storytelling. Like, no matter how short a joke is, it's still going to be a narrative. And the ability to manipulate language. You know how, like, John Mulaney has that bit about, like, real estate agents? Mm -hmm. And there's a bit where he's like, this is an on-fire garbage can, which is much funnier than just saying, like, a garbage can on fire. Yeah, because it implies that on-fire garbage cans are things that you will find and, like, formally exist in society, which they're not. But normalization of an abnormal thing has that element of surprise that we were talking about before. And I think that's a big part of, like, surreal humor, the depersonalization of ordinary things. And I also think that, you know... Being able to manipulate language and stuff, it shows range, and having range is very important to humor. I think it's a good indicator of how funny someone really is. Having wit and, like, being funny in conversation, way different than being able to write good jokes. Yeah, there's a big difference between having a good sense of humor and being funny. Like, you might be able to curate really good memes and appreciate good comedy, but not actually have the faculties to tell good jokes. And I think with the popularity of meme culture, the lines between those two things are kind of getting blurred because it used to be a passive thing to enjoy humor. But now because cultivating and sharing memes allows you to like enjoy humor publicly and actively, people can like maybe think that you're funny, but like it just in reality means you're good at picking other people's jokes. I don't mean to sound like a dick, but like I just think that I've noticed that sometimes in people like having good meme taste doesn't always mean you're funny. It means you know what's funny and there's nothing wrong with that. But I I do get kind of horny when someone tells me that I have good memes. It's very important <laughs> to me. <laughs> I mean, because of meme culture and how hyper-personalized the internet is, like your sense of humor, because like we said, like there's a difference between having a good sense of humor and being funny, but mm -hmm. your sense of humor becomes a central part of your identity because it's part of your social media. Yeah, I mean, the For You page is like criminal and how much it caters to you. And I know it's because they're listening to us at all times. And maybe this is like an unpopular opinion, but I don't, like care like I know that they're watching and I'd rather them give me personalized ads than like things I'm not interested in we're gonna talk about this in yeah a future episode but about the surveillance state for but sure but I mean it all is like in the same like 
ballpark because you're free page caters to your humor. And I think that makes people a lot more sensitive to seeing humor that is like outside of their comfort zone because they're used to seeing certain content. It becomes like an echo chamber of like certain kind of humor, certain kind of jokes. So I think you're more likely to get offended because it's like a shock to your system if you see something. Well, people will always seek out humor that they like. You know, like Mm -hmm. even back in the day, back in the day when cable was a big thing. Back in the ancient times. It doesn't exist In the anymore. before times. Um, you know, people would specifically watch shows they like. Like, they're not going to watch anything they don't like. They, they would seek out, you know, they would go to comedians that they like. Like, you seek out humor that you like. But now, because of the algorithm, you don't even do that active seeking out. That's what it's I'm saying. Passive. It's passive. It's more passive. Right. I guess, like, yeah, like, the humor you find is more passive, but the what you do with it is more active than it was before. Right, exactly. So that's interesting. But... I feel like we can't have this conversation without talking about cancel culture. Oh, Jesus it seems Christ. like the direction that we're heading in. And I hate <laughs> that term so much. Like, I think people pretend that we haven't always canceled each other. If a woman slammed a church door in the 1690s, she was burned alive at the stake. <laughs> like, yeah, she was canceled. Did for sure. Canceled her. People would be publicly beheaded for like dealing drugs in front of children. And now people cry about how sensitive we've all become because artists are pulling their music from Spotify because they're annoyed at Joe Rogan. Like I don't know. You know who the original victim of cancel culture was, kids? Jesus Christ. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Judas was the original snowflake. Yeah. Uh, you, Obviously. Yeah. People are, are like, you know, you can't say anything anymore. Like, we were never able to say That's, anything. If I was in the 1500s, you can't say anything anymore would be my last words before I get Bef- <laughs> burned for blasphemy. Exactly. <laughs> because people have always been opinionated. Like, obviously, now it's just affecting racists and conservatives a little bit more. So it's like a big deal now. I mean, look at what happened to the Dixie Chicks when they spoke out against the Iraq War. Like, they got canceled. Yeah, people have always hated on each other and free speech doesn't mean you're exempt from the reactions of other people who have different opinions. That's kind of like the point of it. Yeah, exactly. And look, I do think people get offended sometimes. I'm not saying like, you know, there's no, like cancel culture hasn't been detrimental in a lot of ways. Like people get so righteous in their political correctness because they're scared of being canceled themselves. And it's just created this like fear culture that causes them to overreact and completely boycott somebody because they take what they're saying out of context. I just don't like the argument around cancel culture that much because I feel like it usually comes from like the Dave Chappelle type who just really want to make blatantly transphobic jokes and don't like the backlash when the communities they're harassing like actually try to speak up against them. So where do you think the line is? Mm. I think if you're going to make an edgy joke, it has to be funny to the group that it's poking fun at too. Like, you know, you can't just point and laugh anymore. Like that's, we're done with that. I think there are plenty of hilarious jokes about gender, sexuality, race, and culture, but they're only funny if they're fully fleshed out. Like you can't, like cis men who make like my gender is an attack helicopter jokes are not funny because the whole joke surrounds how they don't think changing your pronouns or gender identity is like, like your gender assigned at birth is more any more valid than identifying with an inanimate object. And like, that's just like, there's only so far you can go with that. But well, you know, conservatives this- have one joke. <sighs> yeah. They've even done it with the Russian invasion. What, They've what been is, like the Russian soldiers identify as Ukrainian or like, you know, they identify as they they always have. They have one joke. 
Yeah, and, and you hit a joke. wall with that, and like you they can't... hit a wall with it five years ago. True, <laughs> kind of jumped the shark. With they that one, never, I guess. they never even had the shark. It wasn't even funny the first time. I mean, yeah, I don't think so. But they really defend their right to make that joke. Yeah, I think maybe their entire ideology is just based on their right to make attack helicopter joke. I actually think like a lot more like modern reactionary ideology is based on how mad they are at commercials than we think. <laughs> I think we could solve a lot of problems in this country if we just made commercials like the '60s again. Because right. no, here's the thing. Like the 60s. No, again. no, no, no. Here's the thing. We need to go back there. No, no. For sure. We don't need to go back there. But what we do need to do is we need to stop with the millennial ads. Like we should just have <laughs> like classic ad, like 60s style ads, obviously without the misogyny and racism. Okay. But like I'm saying we need to change the aesthetic because I think so much of what they're mad about is just that ads don't look good anymore. I think a lot of I think modern... that they're mad because no, ads no, no, no. are more diverse. I mean, look, I don't like the millennial art or humor as much no, as you exactly. do. No, exactly. But I don't know that they're, like, mad at, like, minimalism. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm mad at minimalism. I know you are. I'm mad at minimalism, personally. I think that this is just your agenda. You know what? It is my agenda. Okay. I wanted to... I actually, like, wrote this joke down, but there's this Twitter user, actually Alice, who, like, tells this funny joke about gender, and it's that, like... Um, it's about asking a trans girl triad. So which of you is the programmer? Which of you is the cam girl? And which of you is the vaporwave artist? And that, like, that's just so much funnier than the attack helicopter stuff because she actually has insight on trans culture. So like, you know, it's funnier to the in-group too. I think that also like when it comes to offensive, quote unquote offensive humor in general, like whatever joke, my rule of thumb is whatever joke you are telling has to be as funny as the topic of the joke is offensive. Hmm. Like they have That's to That's hard to do. They though. have to be equal. If you are telling a joke about something really offensive, it has to be really okay, funny. Okay, but what joke is as funny as the Holocaust is bad? Don't make me answer this question. Kind of <laughs> painted into a corner Don't there. Don't make me answer this question. I might have thrown No, a but I'm saying like the belief. joke has to be really funny because if you tell an offensive joke no, yeah. and nobody thinks it's funny, you just said something offensive. Exactly. There was no joke. It's like how you don't like those like dead baby I jokes. hate dead baby jokes for this exact reason. Yeah. Because the punchline of every dead baby joke is just that there's a dead baby. It's yeah. it was not it's never funny. And it's just like, okay, that's sad that there's a dead baby. So but do you think that with all of this, like there's less of a demand for dark humor? Actually, no, I do not. I actually think the demand for dark humor is higher than ever because everybody who has any kind of weird, edgy humor like sells themselves as some kind of countercultural icon who's like going against the woke grain right. or whatever. Like, I don't think offensive humor is being stifled as much as people say it is. I think that most memes come from 4chan. Yeah, and it's true because like, I just think people think people are more sensitive now because they used to make jokes about minorities and there weren't there wasn't enough platform for minorities to speak up against those jokes so now it feels like everyone's getting attacked when in reality it's like everyone's just able to speak on these things right now the internet gives literally everybody a platform to speak so the acceptable window of discourse is wider so people can talk about a lot of things that they wouldn't talk about normally and that's mm. why a lot of discourse even gets started in the first place like since everybody has a platform like every ideology every idea has a place to propagate itself yeah a lot of times like I want to credit because sometimes discourse is necessary a lot of times discourse is necessary I think a lot of good things have been achieved through discourse yeah because it can be progressive but I think for the most part it does lead to people just like getting radicalized and 
they loop themselves into these echo chambers of confirmation bias. And that's where you get like the stereotypes of like snowflake libtards who need padded wall safe spaces and just like Bible thumping hillbilly redneck conservative Facebook mom sharing like like minion memes and like QAnon <laughs> propaganda. Like both of those stereotypes do have some truth to them. But like if you're constantly just hearing that like echoed back to you, like you're going to start believing it in like a vehement way, you know? Remember earlier when we were talking about how people will often use humor to normalize the taboo? Mm -hmm. That's exactly how it works with memes and political ideologies that are outside accepted discourse in the U.S. Like my, a lot of people's, mine, which is very cringe to admit this in a public platform, (laughs) my first introduction to like real leftism, not like, you know, American liberalism was through memes. Like, like I said, very cringe, but also true. And I think it's true for a lot of people. One minute you're scrolling on Instagram next minute you know who Nick Land is and we didn't ask for this but it's happening (laughs) everything you know about Nick Land is against everything I know about him is against my will I wish I knew less fair enough I wish I knew nothing yeah I mean (laughs) you're right like the word meme is defined as an element of a culture or system of behavior that may be considered to be passed down from one individual to another by non-genetic means especially imitation I think that's kind of a verbose definition. That's like the official de- definition. But it, it could have been limited a little. Definitely. Um, but yeah, they're the perfect vehicle for spreading information. And when you throw humor into the mix with that, then you just make those sentiments even more contagious because like everyone wants to share something funny. And if there's like a slight political tinge to it, then that doesn't matter as much if it's funny. And then you end up like sharing political like ideologies. And we've also developed a language around meme culture. And I'm not even just talking about like AAVE that's been co-opted by twinks on the internet, like on Twitter. I mean like abbreviations and phrases that have been swiped from viral videos and meme formats, all that stuff. Like when you translate otherwise complicated political concepts from academic language to the language of the internet, you're guaranteed to draw people in who might not have been as interested before. I think it's really interesting that you're bringing up language. I think we're seeing like an evolution of internet language with TikTok becoming like the social media platform of our time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, TikTok sounds are becoming staples in any seasoned internet user's word bank. Yes. And even beyond that, it's like the format of telling jokes has changed because of TikTok. Because in a normal joke, you have like the setup of the punchline. Right. And like TikTok, like the sound is the punchline and you have to come up with the setup. So it's like you're doing it backwards. So do you think that format of jokes makes it easier for people to be funny like sometimes I think the punchline is the hardest part because in order to tell like a joke the story has to be told well but the punchline has to punch you know and I think not everyone is good at following through with that like anticipation and the climax I think it's kind of like how cards against humanity works Mm -hmm. Like, basically, you're given the setups and punchlines, and all you have to do is piece them together. In that context, it's, like, even easier because you're given both parts of a joke. With TikTok, it's, like, a little more difficult than that, but it's still easier than normal because you have the joke already. Yeah, I mean, maybe I, like, underestimate a little bit because you do have to still choose which sound goes with the joke you want to make. There's still brain power involved, but there... I mean, yeah, yeah, there are some really, really funny TikToks. I really didn't want to get TikTok, but over the pandemic, I was just bored and yeah, I, I got fell into it. into it. I know. It's such it's a horrible. void. Everyone warned me and I so still addictive. did it. I know because I honestly thought that it started in like 2019. Like I didn't know how old it was. I thought Charlie D'Amelio Everybody was the first person Everybody just downloaded it as a TikTok. joke and then like became hopefully That's what I did. To it. Yeah, and that's what I did too. I thought it was a joke. This morning when I posted a TikTok, 
that was that line from that song "Me So Horny" by Two Live Crew, <laughs> and there were, I like recorded the part of the song that was like sitting at home something something. So I picked up my black book for a freak to call. And I said Jeffrey and Ghislaine type beat. How did I know you were going to say that? See, but see, I made that connection. And that you have so many Epstein jokes. Not, no, I only have like five. That's like a lot. Well, <laughs> that is a lot of Epstein jokes. That's why you enrage the people that you do. No, I don't enrage anybody. That's not true. Fair enough. What I was going to say <laughs> before I went off on that is that I think that a lot of the formats on TikTok, uh, it's not just innocent Epstein jokes, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> A lot of the formats on TikTok kind of like devolve almost into a competition to see like either like who is like freakier and kinkier or like who has had the hardest life. Like I think Mm -hmm. a lot of why this happens is because the algorithm rewards extreme content. So the most extreme content is going to draw the most attention. Like this is also why people get radicalized politically on the internet because it's, it's not necessarily the fault of the users. Like this is how the algorithm was designed. Yeah, and it's kind of always how the internet has worked. Like, this isn't necessarily a new development. Before there were as many parameters as there are, actually, the most popular videos used to be either extremely graphic ones or videos that promoted extremist content. Like, that might be that's just, like, the nature of the internet. That's just because the algorithm promotes whatever is the most controversial, whatever is going to get you clicking. Didn't somebody do a study on this on TikTok? Yeah, someone did a study on how fast it takes for you to be indoctrinated into white supremacy through TikTok. And I think it only takes like two hours of scrolling because within two hours, you see like 400 videos, something insane. Yeah, it was something ridiculous. Maybe it's different now because they've extended the time that you could post. But at the time, yeah, it was like you could see 400 videos and it only took two hours of scrolling for the algorithm to completely shift to that side of the internet. They start you off with some light talking points to test the waters if you're interested. And if you engage at all, even if it's just viewing, like you might not even like the video, they'll continue to build your tolerance by like by showing you even more extreme ideologies and just like gearing you in that direction until you're at blatantly racist videos. Like you're, you're just a white supremacist by that point. Mm-hmm. And they tried to do it with me too. Like that happened where I was, they showed me a couple of turf videos to see if I was interested. Like they, <laughs> there were some dog whistles yeah, in there. giving you the selection. Yeah. And like they start out with like something benign. Like, and so I would start watching them and realize what was happening as I came along. And I'd watch all the way through curiosity, but when TikTok saw that I was paying attention, they kept sh- trying to show me more and more extreme stuff. When I caught on, obviously, like I clicked not interested, but it was, it felt so insidious. I was like, you guys, like, stop, leave me alone. I'm not I'm into that. It's not anybody's fault in particular, but yeah, it's just like the algorithm is just naturally like that. Didn't they create like an AI? who like immediately got turned into a Nazi or something because- Microsoft's was, yeah. Tay. I'm so glad you brought up Microsoft's yeah. Tay. Okay, so Microsoft thought it would be hilarious if they created this AI that would like post and it would like, it was machine learning. So it would like post based on what people were telling it. Like people would interact with it and it would post based on that. And after less than 24 hours, less than 24 hours, Microsoft's Tay started tweeting things like, Ahem. we're going to build a wall and Mexico is going to pay for it. The Holocaust didn't happen. Hitler was right. I hate the Jews. And my personal favorite, Ricky Gervais. <laughs> I can't even say this with a straight face. Ricky Gervais learned totalitarianism from Adolf Hitler, the inventor of atheism. That is so loaded. That's such a loaded. Honestly, that's the best tweet of all time. 
<laughs> made by Tay. Yeah. It's like, it literally is a cesspool. The internet is a cesspool. And like, how did we get here? Because I feel like we used to live in a grumpy cat society, a Charlie bit my finger society. Well, there's always been dark stuff on the internet. I know that. You remember right. that King of the Hill episode where Bobby looks for jokes on the internet and he ends up in like white supremacist forums? I love that episode it's so, so much. It's so funny. That's like one of the best episodes. It, it, the thing is, like basically to those of you who might not have seen it, he starts out by being inspired by black comedians. And so he starts like trying to make jokes like them and he'll be like, white people ain't got no butts. Great impression. Thank you. But <laughs> then he starts to get called out for not speaking to things that he like understands or culturally comes from. So they, they told him to get in touch with his white roots. And like <laughs> he like, obviously if you look up white roots on the internet, you're just going to get totally like into a rabbit hole. And he did. And he become radicalized, obviously not for the duration of the show, <laughs> but he had a little slip up moment and I think that aired in like 1997. Yeah, they saw like it that. So yeah, yeah, so you're right, you're right. Exactly. It has always been the thing. But yeah, there's always been a darkness to the internet. There's going to be a darkness to wherever like all human beings can congregate in one place. There's no doubt about that. But I guess my point was that there's been a clear evolution of meme culture that's made it all more pervasive than it was before. On the internet, there's always going to be like the main players. Like there's always like the social media, like platforms where all the main memes come from mm. you know it started by with youtube and then vine tumblr of course tumblr is where a lot of the more like wholesome millennial memes came from but like now a lot of internet humor comes from 4chan twitter and tiktok yeah so walk me through that a little because i think you have more knowledge than me in like those dark depths of the internet, like 4chan and Reddit and all that. But like, how did that shift? You are making me sound like the worst person. That's not what I'm trying to do. It's true. Those things are true about you. You can't like, just because you don't like them doesn't mean that they're not true. Fair enough. But it's important to know this. Like, I commend you for it. Thanks. I'm glad you commend me for it. <laughs> You're a soldier. Yeah. You know, I do it so so you don't have to. Exactly. That's literally exactly it. Exactly. So I appreciate it. I get all my news through you. You could lie to me and I would tell everybody. I should start lying to you. Please don't. Because I actually do believe everything you say. You know, England invaded France a couple days ago. <gasps> <laughs> Shut up. Okay. How did meme formats become as complicated as they are now? Like as somebody who's kind of watched that progression up close and personal. I has a cookie is not the kind of humor that we gravitate towards anymore. I think in a way there is still space for I has a cookie. <laughs> True. I guess the chain of evolution for that kind of humor started at I Has a Cookie, turned into doggo small bean territory, and is now that baby voice that like people are using on TikTok that's like, I'm a beatbox. Oh my God. Visceral you know what reaction. I'm talking about. Visceral reaction. I know. I know. Or like just literal child voices that people lip sync. You know how I feel about that. I do Any know. woman who uses these sounds, because it's mostly women. Yeah, I know. Men just get to passively enjoy the pedo content. Yeah, all those women, they should visit someplace. You know where they should visit? Where? Jail. Okay. They should be locked up, clockwork orange style, shown, <laughs> like, I don't know, MILF porn to, like, be convinced <laughs> that, like, just, like, adult women open. can also be attractive. Uh -huh. Like, these women are sick and perverted and need help. Any sound on TikTok that involves cats meowing or child's voices should just be banned because you people are freaks <laughs> like you people need help we live in a pedo getting a little political i i'm just saying like it's so disgusting no, I, know. I, it, I hate seeing that 
You're going to shame all of the kinksters that are listening Good. to this right now. <laughs> Is that your agenda? That's, that's my That's agenda. really why we're here. That's what, that's what we're here to do at What's Gonna Happen. Okay. Mm-hmm. Deep pedoize America. One podcast at a time. One podcast at a time. Right. This is the only podcast that's trying to do that. <laughs> yeah, and no, it's it is insane that like cute humor has just gone so far at this point. It's horrible. So what are some other chains of humor then? If like that's cute humor, like innocent humor, like what are some other ones that have evolved with time? I think Personally, that one of them is how Rage Comics turned into Wojaks, which turned into like the trad wife, Doomer Girl, incel mascots. Between the Rage Comics and Wojaks being integrated into the mainstream, we had like a phase of like, because I feel like it's like gone back, but between we had a phase of like surreal memes. Mm -hmm. Like people would just say like, you know, people would say like memes were like the revival of Dada. Like those memes that were just cryptic pictures of like almost unintelligible things with a phrase like I am rotating through time and space or just like the ones that were like vaporwave themed and it said something like crunch. Yeah, I wrote down an example of this. Like I literally Googled surreal memes. Like one of the first things that came up was cereal is a breakfast su- is breakfast soup and it was just a picture of a desert in the background. Yeah, just a pair of eyes with the word meme written above it. Exactly. So where are those memes now? Where, whatever happened to them? Why did they taper out? Where, where are they now? <laughs> where are they now? Um, I think that the reason why, because I think that memes have gotten a lot less surreal than they used to be. I think the reason for that is because the internet became a lot more integrated into our day-to-day lives, especially because of the pandemic. Like there was once a clear divide between the real world and the online world. And now those lines have, for better or for worse, become a lot blurrier. So do you think, I guess that, memes have become more relatable because people are using the internet as more of an outlet than they had to before because that's like all we had to resort to because I think that that is true to an extent but there's always been relatable humor on the internet there's always been relatable humor in general yeah exactly so like I don't know but you think that it's like increased because of the pandemic and stuff like that I'm not even saying relatable I'm just saying like more down to earth like just less surreal like memes are just more I think connected to the real world are just not as surreal. I don't okay. know. Maybe the revival of that rea- is a reaction to the vaguer surreal humor, but I don't know that if that's all that came of surreal humor. I think there is still a place for surreal humor on the internet, but it's more of a niche. I don't know. Maybe that's because who needs to make surreal jokes when the official Dr. Pepper account tweeted a meme format that started out as a Wojak about income inequality as like an ad. <laughs> Honestly, like, I just love Dr. Pepper so much <laughs> that I'm not going to scrutinize them for mm-hmm. that because I support anything that they we do. We here at What's Gonna Happen are not sponsored by Dr. Pepper <laughs> unless they I'd want to sponsor to be us. Sponsored by Dr. Pepper. Send Evangelia free Dr. Pepper. Thank you. Let's start that as a hashtag yeah. on Twitter, please. But that's my personal bias. But I think that really brings us into the main course of what we're trying to talk about, which is how humor has become a marketing vehicle for big brands and why that is so dystopian. Well, everything always leads back to capitalism and Columbine with us. Yeah, with us, not with normal people. (laughs) Um, All roads lead to Columbine. As we were saying before, humor has become... (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a threat. (laughs) That does sound like a threat. (laughs) 
as you were saying before, humor has become like a really big part of everyone's identities these days. Like we were talking about how you integrate your sense of humor into who you are as a person because of social media and everything is so hyper-personalized. Everyone everyone wants to have a brand now. Yeah. You can't just be a person. You have to be a yeah, brand. Yeah, you're marketing yourself. Yeah, everybody's marketing themselves. It's very dystopian. Um, and, and it's also because like it's so oversaturated. Like everybody has to, to kind to of fight to, to rise to the exactly. surface. So it makes sense that like we're trying to commodify ourselves. But with that comes like a lot of issues. Exactly. And I think that companies realize that people want personal. They want mm -hmm. real human. So in order to seem like they're real people, they start being funny because they realize that humor is an essential part of being human and having identity. And they know that people are drawn to that. And part of it is that like they just want to be hip. They just want right. to do it like the youth are doing. But they also know that it makes people mad when they do this. And like all press is good press. I think a lot of things mm. like corporations have just realized that all press is good press. So ads have been trying to be funny forever, but now they're trying to be funny from the perspective of the average internet poster because it's like, I'm one of you. Yeah. Look at me. I'm a cool kid. I'm a cool kid. Yeah. It's not that like curated capitalist humor that's entirely palatable and usually just some like clever pun or one-liner. There are some genuinely funny ads out there, I think. Okay, that's true. But it, the one that I'm thinking of is like that anti-drug ad where um, the girl gets so high that her dog starts talking to her and scrutinizing <laughs> her for her life choices. But I don't, I, I don't think that was supposed to be funny. That like literally happened to me last week. You got... <laughs> <laughs> You got so high that your dog started talking to you? <laughs> yeah, that happens to me. On a regular basis? On a regular basis. I genuinely would believe you if you told me that that happened. <laughs> it would be a hostile conversation because you and George, her, her dog's name is George. <laughs> she is named after George Harrison of the Beatles. Right. For the record. There's some good ads, I guess, but they're not anything like they are now, I think. More advertising comes from people trying to, brands trying to make themselves more approachable to people. And I think that you raise a really good point about how all press is good press for companies a lot of the time. And I think that this has actually been the case with a lot of movie studios and like franchises, because I feel like with things like the Sonic movie, <laughs> like they get, it got totally trampled for the art style and it got so much attention because of that, that the studio literally changed the style. I did see the first Sonic movie, actually. For the I same saw it reason, too. I know we both saw it, not because we wanted to see. No, because we were like, a, well, I have a 3D animated see. Sonic movie, but because we had to see because of all of the memes about, I actually watched it on mute and did all the voices by myself. <laughs> yeah. For my girlfriend's entertainment. <laughs> That's just a Thursday for us, all I right. guess. But yeah, like I think that that and then like that horrible Cats movie oh. with like CGI is definitely much better than that. I think they genuinely made it look like that on purpose because they knew that people would watch it as a meme. Um, yeah, it's just like so outdated and, and strange. And I think maybe even that's why they made the new Cinderella film because I don't want to be that guy, but who asked for a Cinderella movie starring Camila Cabello? <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. You know what? I 100% do believe, like 100% believe that they do that because we live in an attention economy. Whether people see it because they love it or because they hate it, they are paying for it either way and the studio is making money. And here's the thing. Capitalism is, is capitalism sucks. The, the, the invisible Oh, hand, does capitalism suck? No, the invisible. That's a, that's a new opinion. Can you finish? That's, I don't know how I feel about you I saying know, that. I know, it's a new one. Just I saying. came up with that myself. Did you? Yeah, I did. That's cool. The Invisible Hand. You should write a book. I should write a book. Like a manifesto? I should call it Das Capital. I like that. You like it? I like it. I'm glad you like it. <laughs>
The invisible hand of the free market is so incompetent that they literally ruined so bad their good movies. Because now they're taking the magic out of them by purposefully making bad movies yeah. so that they can be so bad they're good movies. But that just, it's totally removed they from take the, the point. They the soul out of it. Like this is, yeah, exactly. And this is what the free market does if you just let leave it unattended. And it's <laughs> it's really insidious, I think. It really is. They purposefully try to stir up controversy. And I'm not talking about the Sonic movie. Like that was... <laughs> controversy but just brands in general like, that was extremely controversial well, just, you know what it actually was but like you know i'm talking about more grand scale things i guess like they finally done what everybody anticipated that they were going to do in the first place and learned how to use all the core aspects of social media discourse and humor those are like the main factions to engage consumers and i think our favorite tiktok user raincore we love her we love her so much said something about how people oftentimes assume that those witty twitter interactions come from like that come from like the official wendy's account or like the duolingo owl like our young interns who are just innately tuned into social media trends but in reality most of the time it is just like corporate elites all sitting in like a conference room using consultants and research to learn the formula of virality real and like this is kind of like moving on to another point, but I don't think that this factor of capitalism and humor is necessarily a negative thing, but I think it's interesting how funny things infiltrate the market. Like things like ironic t-shirts and mugs with silly topical slogans and quirky accessories, baseball caps with weirdly specific phrases on them. Like all that stems from the type of humor that we have at a given time. And this isn't new. It's something that it's not something that came out of memes or social media necessarily, but it is an example of how humor impacts style because all trends are what? Connected. connected. I think a lot of that has to do with thrifting. Yeah. No, yeah, 100%. I think like do you remember those shirts that they would sell at like malls and stuff that would be like FBI, Federal Booby Inspector <laughs> or something like that. Like those shirts were made for people who like teenage boys who were just like, that's the epitome of humor. Like that's the funniest thing I've ever seen. But now you'll see like teenage girls wearing that as kind of like a joke because honestly, like irony is kind of like secondhand humor in the same way that thrifting is like secondhand clothes because you're taking something that existed already and repurposing it from its original context to create something that's more in tune with the modern culture. Yes, exactly. I it's like they'll take a sh- there'll be a shirt that will say something like I went to Tom's Diner in 1996. <laughs> I would buy that. I would fucking buy the <laughs> shit out of that. And like a 17-year-old girl will be like that's the one. I need that. Tom's Diner. It's our our generation. I think like has picked this up as kind of like an it's an anti-establishment post-ironic thing. Mm. Thrift stores have raised their prices because of this. Yeah, and on top of that, like it can be a problem at times because stores like Brandy Melville will literally swipe designs from clothing that they find at thrift stores. Like when I was in high school, I went to a Brandy Melville with one of my friends and she was wearing like an outfit that was completely thrifted. And we went in and they were like, to her, not me. They were like, you're, you're so cute. Like, can I take a Polaroid of you? And like, she was like, yeah, of course. Thinking that they wanted to hire her because that's like also a way that they hire people. They're like, you're blonde, you're skinny. Come with us. <laughs> Come to the dark side. And so she let them. And literally we went back like a month later and her exact outfit to the T was hanging up in the store, like (laughs) pieced together. And it's just insane because she definitely spent like $15 on it. It was like a flannel or whatever, but they had copied it exactly. And a lot of people say that they've done that and they buy thrift store clothes just to replicate them and charge like twice as much. Gen Z shopping at thrift stores was like an anti-capitalist thing. This has all been an anti-capitalist thing, but capitalism will commodify anything. They will commodify anything. Nothing is safe. 
Think about like Fidel Castro graphic tees. Like they did it to grunge. Like Yeah, Kurt Cobain's diary is on sale at Urban Outfitters. Exactly. It's like how they make hippie costumes. Like the iron, like it's such, it's like an ultimate irony to like sell that. The, yeah, like, make money off of hippies. Like to just make, yeah, to make money off of grunge, to make money off of Fidel Castro. <laughs> like it's so ironic. Like to for him, to, for Kurt Cobain to know that he would be like, his suicide note would be like a coffee table art book on the table of some art hoe in like St. Mark's. He would have a panic attack. He would kill himself, he would kill himself again. again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, what do we do with all of this? Like, is it just going to end up getting more and more sinister? Like, will there be new forms of humor? Like what, I don't know. What do you think is rising up? What's going to happen? Right, guys? What's going to happen? Well, usually capitalism will use humor to dilute any kind of anti-consumerist, like, sentiment. So it's important to be aware of that so you don't fall for the trap. Like we were saying, like, humor, very connected to the taboo. It's very good at normalizing things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they will, companies will use that to their advantage. Yeah, and I also think them trying to humanize themselves is really an effort to distract people from their inhumane treatment of workers, their contributions to climate change, the exploitation of the consumers themselves. Like you're drawing attention elsewhere because you posted something cute and funny when in reality people should be much angrier than they actually are. Being skeptical of brands that seem so integrated in pop culture will help us uh, us keep our minds on uh, the goal of change instead of feeding into like these fake woke ploys. Yeah, that's ugly. Feeding into fake woke Ploys is ugly. That was like a tongue twister. Fake woke ploys. Say that five times fast. Fake woke. No, I'm not gonna. It's gonna end up sounding like a slur or something. (laughs) I don't want that to be taken out of context. But yeah, I guess brands are just gonna keep doing it because it's working. I don't see why they would stop anytime soon. But how do you think that the general public's youth is gonna change under these circumstances that we're in now? Like more nihilism? Are we circling back to randomness? Definitely getting more nihilistic. It's really getting more nihilistic. Mm. Like, I think there's a real air of hopelessness. Like, I think the trauma dump jokes are on the rise for sure. Like, mm. people will literally just, like, be, like, 10 a.m. talking about how they got molested on Twitter. Yep. Like, their family trauma, all the things they should be addressing in therapy. Yeah, with, like, a Doja Cat song playing in the background. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, people are are definitely starting to forget about their digital footprints for some reason. They they always drilled internet danger into our heads, I feel like. And I guess that sentiment has left us or like the younger generation maybe isn't told that as much because the internet's not as new anymore. But people will post the most transparent, unsolicited things. Like, I don't want to know that. I mean, personally, you. like, I think that we're all aware of it and just don't care. Like, I know for me, every time I post something on TikTok, I, you know, queue it up say to myself, you will never have a real job and then hit post. You just post it. Yeah, every time. Just post it. That's how you know it's good. That's how you know it's good. So nihilism, unhinged, unadulterated humor. And I think there's just going to be a whole wave of younger people who are going to use humor as a coping mechanism from a younger age because they're exposed to the internet at an earlier age than we were even. Like YouTube wasn't even invented before we were born which is crazy to say, but I, they had iPads shoved into their grubbies from when they were about like, when they were old enough to have motor functions, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Like I saw this one TikTok of this little girl and she had to be like around like seven or eight. Like she was young and it was obviously shot on like, like a, an iPad or like a shitty set. Like it was so blurry because she probably couldn't even hold it upright because she was like little and it was bigger than her. But the caption was like, when your mom's getting beat in the other room by your dad, but you're safe. And the sound was a song that was like, couldn't be me or I'm built different. I don't remember which one it was, but it's literally insane. And like people were commenting like, do you need help? And she just didn't 
care. She didn't give a fuck at all. She was TikToking. She was just TikToking. <laughs> exactly. Like, I think whatever humor we think is dark or edgy now, the next generations is going to be darker and they're just going to be so desensitized because nothing is taken seriously anymore. And I guess that's a factor of nihilism or a, maybe it's absurdism. So what do we do with that? Yeah, it's pretty bleak. <laughs> <laughs> I think the only answer is really to remind yourself like who you are outside of social media. What makes you genuinely laugh and not just blow air out of your nose, you know, and DM to your friend? Like what what are your morals really? And I know that's a kind of like a boring answer, but it's so easy to detach from reality through the internet, especially when it's as entertaining as it is. And I'm not going to be one of those like old men who's just like, get off your phones. But I think that humor online is bound to become an unhealthy coping mechanism. It already is an unhealthy coping mechanism, but I feel like it's going to get worse and worse and become like another limb attached to people. A sixth sense is just going to be like it already trauma is dumping. <laughs> exactly. I hear phantom notifications. I, that happens to me too. That's actually a phenomenon. Yeah. I will literally just hear notifications whether or not there. But yeah, like if you don't try to understand yourself on a deeper level, you will be consumed by that kind of thing. And you just need to make space for yourself and remind yourself that no matter how messed up the world is, there is hope that something can change. Like there has to be hope for things to be different. Things have been different in the past when it looked like they were not going to get different. And, you know, we don't have to give hope. We give up our hope in the form of SpongeBob reaction images. (laughs) So I, yes, I think what you're saying is get a life. Right. It's kind of silly, but there is gravity to the statement, touch grass. In conclusion, touch grass and get a life. We're not going to do that, (laughs) but you should. Right. And on that note, thank you all so much for tuning in. It was a pleasure to meet you. You can follow the podcast on Instagram at what's going to happen pod. And you can follow us on Twitter at WGH pod, not to be confused with at WGH podcast, which is the what's good Houston podcast. (laughs) Right. It's just pod. And from Moscow to Tibet, this has been What's Gonna Happen. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Shop JCPenney for thousands of deals solo, no coupons needed. This weekend, save up to 50% on kitchen electrics from brands like Keurig and Cuisinart. Say yes, please, to diamonds and gemstones, now $19.99 each. And bundle up the fam and coats, starting at $14.99. We got your holiday. Offers valid on select items 1118 through 1120. Excluded from coupons. Exclusions apply. See store or jcp.com for details.